Coming to you from New York City. This week and every week, it's the Ben Kissel Show. Welcome to the show, everyone. Um, I'm Ben Kissel, joined by Mike Cascarelli. As always, thanks for being here, Mike. You're welcome. All right. You still living in the studio, Mike? For Yeah, for the next two more days. Very good. Congratulations. <laughs> Honored to have uh, my guest and uh, and co-host on multiple shows, Marcus Parks. Thanks for being here, dude. No problem, Ben. Thanks for having me, man. It's come full circle because when Marcus and I first <laughs> met, uh, we met at an open mic at Legion Bar, which is a terrible bar. It has a nice backspace. I say terrible bar because the bartenders are hipsters. Yeah. Turns out that personality type doesn't really do very well in the public service industry. <laughs> in the service industry, hipsters are probably the worst personality you can have. Yeah, you want a chippy cat. You want a you want a chipper Kathy. Yeah, you don't want like a um, a Patrina who is thirty <laughs> pounds overweight but refuses to acknowledge it. And if you bring it up, you're a sexist. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but that's where we first met, and uh, it was at an open mic. And then Marcus interviewed me for a great podcast he had on uh, what was the name of that network? Breakthrough Radio. Breakthrough Radio, a great radio company. Well, not great, but well, okay. <laughs> Jesus, we just had to edit out something I said, and now I'm saying it's great. And now, it, now Marcus, edit that out. Should no. I edit? Okay, you got it. Good no. God, it's all staying in now. <laughs> anyway, it was called Portrait of a Comedian, yeah. and Marcus. Uh, interviewed me for that and it was the it was an amazing experience and that was going on I think seven years ago now I think it was like five five years yeah, ago five going years, on five, seven. seven it could have five, been last six, week yeah. and theoretically I can be like well in the grand scheme of life it's going on seven years yeah no it was a while back now that was a great show uh, yeah that I mean breakthrough as many problems as it had it mm -hmm. did give me like a lot of opportunities to like meet people portrait is where I met everyone that I know in the uh, in the comedy scene today yeah and oh, man what a great group of people they are oh yeah you know? yeah when we were when uh, uh, when we met, uh, Mike Lawrence was living in my basement. There's Mike Lawrence. He's got, uh, <laughs> Google him. He's a stand-up comedian. He has a podcast on Cave Comedy Radio called A Nerd of Mouth. Mm -hmm. And he is mean. <laughs> Good God. If Ben Affleck heard what Mike Lawrence said about him when he was uh, cast as Batman, <laughs> He's Ben Affleck would cry. Brusque. He's a brusque man. Come on. Yeah. But I, that, that was kind of where I was in the scene. I had a, a studio in my basement. It was such a uh, great basement. Yeah. It was an amazing basement. It was Mill Dude. Mike Lawrence was over there hanging out with no pants on, eating ice cream all the time. Yep. That's right. And playing with his action figures. Yeah. He loved to play with action figures. You know, the thing is, I always say you have to get rid of your action figures when you can come on them. <laughs> you know, as soon as you start ejaculating, <laughs> that's when you have a new toy in town. I've got it's action called a figures. Marcus, take it easy. I've got my RoboCop action figure. RoboCop is allowed because that's an adult <laughs> movie. That's not a child's toy. RoboCop is totally fine. You can have Texas Chainsaw Massacre figurines. Yes, yes. Okay, figurines, action. Um, I'm talking about anything... If the thing wears a cape, yeah. you cannot have it after you can come. Uh, <laughs> you have to give it away or give it to your younger brother or sibling. All right. You make a point. You make Thank a point. You, I'm, my first point I've ever made on a recorded podcast. Thank God. Marcus and I bonded over a movie. We knew we were going to be friends when we watched a movie at his place. And this, this house of his was so amazing. It was You had to walk through an apartment building to get to it. And then it looked like Grandpa and the <laughs> nephews and nieces from the Texas Chainsaw House uh, could have lived in it. It was an actual home in the middle of Brooklyn behind an apartment building completely secluded with its own 
dungeon. Yeah. If you were uh, if you were a fella named Fritzel, <laughs> you would have put your daughter in it and knocked her up a couple of times. Um, that's uh, Google the Fritzel story. And what was that? Sweden? Joseph Fritzel. That was Austria. Austria. Yeah, they got a different kind of family dynamic. <laughs> Austria has a different kind of uh, uh, father daughter love that they like to express. So we went over to his house, and the, how, the whole house slanted. Yeah, it was a. If you put one marble, if you put a marble on the left, it would be to the right faster than I could get there. And uh, we sat down on his couch. Marcus says, "Hey Ben, you ever heard of this movie Cannibal Holocaust?" <laughs> and I was like, "Well, I haven't, but I can't wait to learn more about well, it." Well, you'd already told me that you loved <laughs> horror movies. We already yes. talked, like I was like, "Yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of my favorite movies." We'd hung out a couple of times before that, like uh, yes. once or twice. Yeah, we smoked a lot of weed out of that beautiful bong you had. That I believe I broke. You didn't break it. No, that was Butterball. Another guy broke that oh. at a party, and I took his shoes for it. Oh, that's very good. Yeah, because Butterball was the best bong that ever existed, and he broke Butterball. So I said, oh, "Give me your shoes. You're man. going home." Oh <laughs> man! If anybody breaks any of your uh, marijuana paraphernalia, take their shoes and send them <laughs> home. There is no greater walk of shame than than when you go home with no shoes on because people know you left the house with them. Yeah, and then when you're coming home without them, everyone's like, "Must have broke Marcus's bomb." <laughs> I, mean, I didn't even. Remember. The next day, I woke up and I was like. Uh, my girlfriend at the time I was like, "Who's sho- who left their shoes here?" Oh She's like, God. "You don't remember you took that guy's shoes?" That like, is no the prime example. I of- would have called him and <laughs> said, "Like, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't know who he was." That's so I was like, "Who you are didn't you? Know Why? Who he was. I didn't know who he was." Oh, I wouldn't take God. a friend's shoes. That is my favorite. That is Texas justice. <laughs> Marcus Park style. You break a bong. Give me your shoes and get out of here. <laughs> this is one of my favorite. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Oh, man. So we watched uh, Cannibal Holocaust. Marcus sold it to me by saying, it's pretty amazing. The guy actually, the director actually got charged with murder, and one of the actresses had to show up and prove she was alive. Yeah. <laughs> Which is really what happened. Yeah. And I'll tell you, if you're a director, this is a 1970s film, and it was filmed, where was this, where was it filmed at? Uh, Papua, no, not Papua New Guinea, somewhere in South America. So it's real tribe people. Yeah. So it mix, and they really do kill a turtle. I mean, they eat it. It's a very old turtle. It's kind of a sad death. Yeah, they kill a turtle, they kill a shrew, and they actually kill them on screen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They I mean, actually kill them. And the movie was banned uh, in many countries. Uh, I think it's still banned in England. Uh, it's. Nah, I mean, yeah, the European countries have a weird. Australia, especially, has a real weird thing about banning stuff, banning movies. Yeah, I noticed. Uh, this is actually true. Doug Stanhope, the stand-up comedian, of course, he's banned in Australia as well. Yeah. And these are people. We did an episode of last podcast on the left, all about Australian serial killers. These people. Doug Stanhope's jokes about his mother dying are not what's uh, d- making that su- uh, making that society depraved. <laughs> no, it is a bunch of inbreeding and just <laughs> oh madness. Uh, if you want to watch a good horror movie as well, uh, watch Wolf Creek One and Wolf Creek Two. They're both amazing. Yeah. Good Australian horror movies. Great Australian horror movies. So Marcus and I watched uh, Cannibal Holocaust. Got that. Got through that together. And uh, I feel like that's one of that's our blood brother moment. I think so, yeah. Because a lot of people, believe it or not, Marcus, when people see a 150 year old turtle getting deshelled and eaten on screen, sometimes they say, 
turn it off. <laughs> I've never had anyone say turn it off when we watched That's, Cannibal Holocaust. I think how I many mean, people I, have you showed it to? I think three. Uh-huh. I select the people that I watch Cannibal Holocaust with very carefully for that specific reason. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, everyone's fine with the girl with the gigantic fucking uh, post through her mouth. Everyone's fine with the rock rape, but mm. you kill a turtle and all of a sudden people get fucking weird. People love turtles. Turtles, if they could talk, they would have a lot of history to tell us. <laughs> yes, they would. So, but they can't, so it doesn't matter if you eat them or not. Well, where I grew up, I mean, it's just death was around all the time. Yeah. You just, you saw, uh, yeah, in small town Texas, I, you know, grew up, uh, family, did a lot of ranching, things like that. You see dead things every mm-hmm. day. You see it on the side of the road. You have uh, people kill deer all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. Hell, I sent you a picture over uh, Christmas, uh, me posing with a nice deer head that had been chopped off and hung. Right, right. And oh, it absolutely. doesn't bother me. Like, no, Wisconsin is full of death as well. During hunting season, every single one of these cars gets a brand new paint job, and that paint job is done in blood. <laughs> I mean, it's all deer blood is just everywhere, everywhere. and they're just walking, uh, driving around with with a bunch of carcasses tethered to the front of their pickup truck, and you should be like, hey, uh, buddy, <laughs> did you, do you know you got a dead deer that's really freaking me out because I'm stoned to shit over here? Terrified. You grew up in a small town in Texas. What was? The, did you listen to a lot of radio growing up? Oh, all the time, that constantly. Was, yeah. Uh, the, who'd my, you love the most? My favorite station was. I listened to one rock station all the time. Kuyj. Okay. Kuyj Rock One Hundred Eight. Abilene's only rock station. I love that it's not the best. It's not the worst. <laughs> We're the only one. So you got to listen to us because literally there's fuck else to do. Well, there was a classic rock <laughs> station, but they didn't consider they didn't consider them. No, my favorite guys uh, growing up, like I Howard Stern to me was a guy in the news. He was a guy right. in Mad Magazine. Like he was. I read Private Parts before I ever heard Howard Stern on the radio. Once. Wow. Because uh, my was he was he syndicated out there? No. Or no, yeah, no, no, no. I never the got only, Stern either growing up in Wisconsin. The only place he was syndicated to in Texas, I believe, was Dallas and maybe Houston. Okay. Uh, and I was eight, ten hours from, uh, I was six hours from Dallas, or four hours from Dallas, ten hours from Houston. So Jesus. I was never here in Stern or anything like that. Right. Uh, all I have is like my, my local guys. Yeah, Jones and Payne in the morning. Jones and Payne Jones in the morning. Jones and Payne. Hey, this is Frank Jones and I'm Payne. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were great. They had an awesome morning show where they'd actually talk about music. Yeah, uh, it wouldn't. It wasn't just Before like Before Clear Channel ruined everything, and these DJs are all well, mostly just recording out of Florida now in canned canned yeah. talk. Yeah, and the and Keyj was totally local. Like it was completely and totally local. I listened to it all the time. Uh, and did you ever I make the it. news? What's up? Did you ever did you ever make it? Did you ever do anything that made you made uh, made the news? I was I have been on the news a couple times. Yes, that's pretty good. What'd you do, buddy? <laughs> I was I was in the local news in Lubbock, not in high school, not in Abilene. But yeah, I was in the local. What'd news. you do? I uh, organized a counter protest against Fred Phelps. Hey, all yeah. right. Well, I mean, I tried to organize it where Fred Fels was coming to town, and we were going to do the thing where uh, there was a South Plains AIDS Research Center called okay. Spark uh, in Lubbock. Uh, for every minute that they Spark, were- Spark, huh? Spark, yeah. It seems a little optimistic <laughs> for an AIDS research clinic. Spark seems like- For what could be research, American- resource, resource. Resource, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Spark definitely seems like the place that you could get a 32-ounce soda with a burger, <laughs> or like it has a ball pit and possibly a go-kart, <laughs> you know, track. But I got to go down to Spark, and everyone's just like, oh, man, he must be having the greatest time. Oh, it's, uh, oh, I see, it's a resource center for AIDS. My white blood cell count oh, is I quite okay. low. It's different than, 
Never mind. I'm just going to walk out of here slowly, guys. I thought Spark was a different place. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, we we did a we were going to do a thing. It was in college radio, uh, where for every minute that they protest, we were going to raise like a dollar for the South Plains AIDS Resource Center. That's awesome. But what we found out is uh, there was an there's an FCC rule. College radio stations are nonprofit organizations. Okay. And there's an FCC law that says that nonprofit radio stations can't raise money for nonprofit organizations. It's an actual FCC rule. That's so stupid. Yeah. Why is that a rule? I have not. I racked. I've racked my brain for years trying to figure out why that's a rule. Uh, yeah. It's so we had to cancel it at the last minute. We were on the news. They interviewed me and everything. I mean, you must have been. And of course, Fred Phelps. For those that don't know, he's the head of the, or he was the head. I believe he's dead. He's dead. He's a corpse. He dead, died last year. Oh my goodness. They yeah. should have. Uh, we should have. Uh, Gotten some camera over on him there, giving the old uh, cannibal holocaust turtle treatment. <laughs> yes, he was the leader of the Westboro Baptist Church, the God Hates Fags people. Yeah, and now God hates a lot more than just fags. They're expanding. Oh, they, he hates everybody. He doesn't like a lot of stuff. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you one thing. If they, if the head, if the lead wench of that group walks into your house, you know what you tell her? Hmm. Give me your shoes and get out of here. <laughs> Give me your shoes. You know the, you know you, the rule. You know why. Give me the shoes. <laughs> you can take your signs and get out of here. <laughs> That's awesome. You must have been considered quite a hippie, quite a liberal fella for Texas. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I had the long hair back then and everything down Beautiful. past my shoulders, flowing locks. My uh, Well, we had to have DJ names. There was a great little tag. Oh, yeah? There was a great little tagline at the end of the news story. Uh, we all had to have like DJ names because the radio station had a real bad problem with stalkers. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. This is Texas Tech Radio? Texas Tech, okay. K, uh, KTXT. Okay. Uh, and we had a real bad problem with stalkers, so... What, every... what was it? What do you mean? Just college girls just were in love with the DJs? No, weird people, weird townies oh. would become obsessed with certain DJs. I had one myself. She called herself Kelly Robot. Uh, Sounds she, hot. Yeah. I mean, well, she, you ever see Lost? Yes, of course. You know Rousseau? Uh-huh. She looked just like Rousseau. She okay. was like in her mid-50s. She was schizophrenic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and she uh, used to uh, call the radio station and talk about her mad cow disease, how she had gotten mad cow disease, and that's why she went crazy. Ah. Uh, she used to send me these letters in the mail uh, that would be written in three different uh, handwriting, like three different kinds of handwriting, mm-hmm. uh, three different trains of thought. Like one would be about Tom Waits, one would be about fruit bats, and another would be about how like the man next door was trying to kill her. Man, honestly, that's kind of... Of amazing. It, it was pretty great. She'd send me checks in the mail. She'd like send me checks for like fifty dollars, and in the memo there would just be these weird indecipherable symbols, like the zodiac. Meant some. They actually did look a lot like zodiac symbols. It did was, you cash the checks? I never did cash the. Oh, check. you gotta cash. She the was a mentally check. ill woman. She wasn't mentally ill enough not to send you fifty goddamn dollars. <laughs> she used to send me cash, and I would spend the cash. You gotta spend that yeah. cash. And That's she'd stalker send, money. Yeah, and she'd sp- send me phone cards and give me the address, and she's like, if you. Give Give me her address, and like if you ever want to have a moonlit partner, please come by. <laughs> oh, Give me a call man. if you'd like to conversate. So crazy people have always been. It's a good thing we weren't doing me. radio shows back then, dude, because you'd be married to her right now. <laughs> I would have made that happen. She's giving you money. Yeah, sending nice poetry. So. Oh no, we had all kinds of people. We had uh, this guy that used to call himself the Bohemian Bastard. He was a farmer. They always listened on his tractor. And he called this the Bohemian Bastard. How oh, are that's... you? Uh, we had little characters. There were Stereo Lab guy. There was he would call in and say, like, "Can I hear some Stereo Lab?" He'd call three <laughs> times a day and listen to Stereo Lab, and it was fucking 
but and asked for a cereal. It was bizarre, but we all had yeah. names, you know. Yeah. What, what, what was your nickname? Uh, what was your I, DJ ch- name? I chose it when I was eighteen. Oh, all yeah, right. Yeah. So this is okay. Oh yeah, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> will it be? Uh, let's see here. Marcus, um, I'm see you got a Native American thing sometimes. Maybe a wild feather. Oh no, wild fe- wild feather. Marcus, Marcus wild fellow. <laughs> oh, no, wild was, wild fe- feather parks. In high school, I was obsessed with Jack Kerouac and mm. the whole like beatnik movement and yeah. all that. So I called myself beatnik. Uh, I like yeah. it. It was nice, yeah. For yeah. for a college thing, that's not bad. Until you realize those beatniks are just a bunch of wealthy goddamn kids. I did realize it. Who had the ability to sit in coffee shops their whole fucking lives and think. <laughs> That's all they did. I was talking. I did well, a not sh- Kerouac, not Burroughs. No, like, no. you know, Ferlinghetti also. He had some hard times. No, I like Jack Kerouac a lot, and I love that he just became a recluse. Yes. Living the dream. Yeah. He, awesome life. Yeah, did just him and his cats. That's all he wanted. As but, soon as a book that you write inspires the death of John Lennon, you just got to go chill out because no, you're working. That, your, was, that, that was, was Salinger. Salinger, yeah, yeah. that was Salinger. Kerouac I'm also became a rec- recluse. but It's typical yeah. of these writers. <laughs> You know, yeah, on the road and all that. Yeah, but that there was, was there was a great tagline at the end of that news story. The you know Fred Bur- uh, you know Fred Phelps the Westboro Baptist Church uh, and like who knows what will happen on Sunday when the Beatnik and the Baptist collide. Oh, cool, man! <laughs> Beatnik just, versus Baptist. All I wanted was just these like two football helmets, right? Right. Like one with like a picture of Kerouac and the other with a big cross to just yeah, come yeah, yeah. just crash together. Hank Williams Jr. starts <laughs> playing when he was still doing Monday Night Football. For all those people listening right now, and let's just say you just began watching Monday Night Football, and I believe it is, uh, it's this white woman, it's a Faith Hill type, maybe it's Shania Twain, it's some country gal who does the lead-in now. They're the only person that should have ever done Monday Night Football was Hank Williams Jr. Yeah, all my righty friends are coming over tonight. They're coming over, and you know why? They're they're gonna get rowdy. And they're getting ready for some football. And you know what's gonna happen at the end of that goddamn party? What? Butterball gets broken. <laughs> Hank Williams says, "Give me your shoes and get out of here." Because you know when Hank Williams Jr. when his rowdy friends come over, mm-hmm. they're gonna oh, man, you gonna need that sweet sweet grass, you know? Yeah. And one person takes a, takes one too many puffs. Butterball's broken. Hank Williams has got another pair of shoes. <laughs> I love this strategy, man. Yeah. I'm never going to go shoe shopping again. I have to start hanging out with people with more size 14 shoe. You're not going to find many. No. And anyone who does have a size 14 shoe, I'm like, oh, you're gross. Yeah. I can't be. <laughs> I mean, the one thing about you being six foot. They can't be two big guys. No. I mean, big. I mean, I got a sweatier foot. <laughs> I got to have it. I, mean, I guarantee I got a sweatier foot. There's no way around it. That's the one thing that people don't understand about being a six foot seven gentleman. I can't go changing out clothes with my friends. Can't do it. It's sad, you know? Anyway, whatever. Beatnik. <laughs> Beatnik, Marcus Parks. So you graduated from Texas Tech with the, and you actually got your degree in uh, in um, radio and uh, production and stuff? Uh, I got my, my minor was in uh, radio. My major was uh, creative writing. Oh. Yeah, English. I studied English and creative writing. Wanted to be a writer for a long time. That's great. Are you going to write a book? Absolutely not. Why not? Because I'm not a good writer. What I do can you write- mean? You got a degree in it. <laughs> you paid like 
30 grand. Texas Tech told you you were going to write it. I can write a fucking awesome email. But it was in, it was in, uh, I mean, I have done some writing since then. Like I did some writing for The Onion years ago. Right. uh, And I have, you know, written things here and there. Uh, But uh, really, I mean, in college is what, that's when I found like radio. It was like, I couldn't believe that I could actually do it because I loved radio my entire life. Yeah, uh, and I just happened upon the college radio station, and that's what I spent all my like. I graduated with I it was like a two point one, two point two GPA because Dang, I spent that ain't bad. I spent, <laughs> I spent all my time at the radio station. I just always doing treated, all radio. I always treated my uh, high school grades and my uh, college grades like the game of golf. Yeah, I was always going for that low score. <laughs> you know, people got it all wrong with with the uh, oh a hundred percent. Whatever. You know how difficult it is to get a zero? <laughs> More difficult than getting a hundred percent. You if to get a zero but actually answer all the questions mm-hmm. at the same time. That's very difficult. That's just yeah, the odds are at least you're gonna get twenty five percent. Yeah. <laughs> if you can pull off a zero, you're a golden god. You're so goddamn stupid, you're smart. <laughs> yeah. No, it was. I mean, were you an introverted kid or an extroverted kid? Uh, a little bit of both. Extroverted when I was younger, and uh, then introverted as I uh, grew older. As you uh, began talking more. Yeah, as I, I mean, what? Yeah, actually, when I was in high school, I'm kind of a. I mean, a bit of an introverted extrovert or an extroverted introvert. You know, I see this all over the place. There, uh, BuzzFeed is all over the. Uh, yeah, all over the getting, internet. It's getting it's getting trendy, and it's really bothering me. Top ten signs that you're in, or you're whatever. Top ten things that introvert that only an introvert will understand and it's like number seven is like they need love (laughs) you know petting a puppy dog makes your hand feel like it's touching something soft yeah it's like everybody is everybody wants to be an introvert now no i don't want to be an introvert it fucking sucks uh i just i mean it's one of those things where it's like yeah i like being around people but i also it's fucking exhausting oh like being around people is absolutely exhausting to me i gotta have a lot of alone time i gotta spend a lot of time alone and you spent a lot of time alone as a kid right so much time yeah because i grew up the town i grew up in was uh about 400 people okay uh, and i grew up seven miles outside of town uh in a cotton in the middle of a cotton field and the nearest Man. neighbor was like two uh, two miles away they weren't even kids my age anyway so i spent most of my time growing up alone yeah just hanging out with random reptiles and uh and, and, and animals and, and killing them <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah, toads and whatnot. I uh, love it, man. Yeah. I love that. I, I'm so jealous now of, of you. Whenever Marcus gets to go home for Christmas, um, I'm just so jealous because just nothing. It's nothing. Nothing yeah. for miles and miles and miles. Miles and miles, man. You can you can't believe how beautiful it is there at night. I love it. New York is a different kind of beauty. I made a big mistake yesterday. I had to go down into New Jersey for a uh, for a bit of a jab, and on the way back, I wasn't driving, thank God, but the fellow that was driving pulled out a beautiful joint. And uh, and if somebody pulls out a joint, if you don't smoke it, you're a dickhead. Yeah. So you got to smoke it. I got super stoned, and uh, we were driving over the Verrazano Bridge, and oh my fucking God, if that's that was the scariest moment of my life. But beautiful. It's beautiful in a way... It's almost like you're looking at a super hot chick with herpes, <laughs> you know, where it's just like, holy Christ. I like my mind is like, that is absolutely, you know, my instinctually, my reptilian mind is like, that is beautiful. Yeah. But then my stoned brain is like, it's going to kill me, man. <laughs> it's going to fucking kill me. Definitely going to get me herpes. A hot chick with herpes is the greatest conundrum in the history of man. A conundrum? It's a conundrum. <laughs> Take your shoes and get out of here. <laughs> no, I agree, man. Don't do not go over the Verrazano Bridge, Superstone. You'll freak out, and don't. Uh, 
No matter how hot she is, man. You had, really got to fall in love with a gal with herpes. I had an amazing uh, experience with the Verrazano Bridge quite a long time ago. What in happened? Be- in between my time, because like, I started working at the Onion right when I got here for about six months. My internship right. ran out, and I kept writing for them, but then I just... Kind of, then I started getting more into music and getting into bands, and so I was like, "Yeah, this is going to be my thing now." Right, and, and you're an amazing drummer. Oh, thank you, thank yeah. you. But I was playing uh, auxiliary percussion with this band called Blonde Acid Cult. <laughs> uh, God, I mean, you just—it's Jesus Christ. It's very—it was very middle of the road. I mean, how we almost got signed, but oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We almost got signed to Atlantic, but the uh, two guys in charge of the band uh, didn't realize that that's when you work hardest. Uh, uh, yeah, when you're about to get successful, that's when you work hardest. They just figured. Like there were these two guys from Boston. They like figured like, eh, fuck it, we got to meet. Like, yeah, we'll yeah, we got to meet. Yeah, fuck it, we'll just yeah, we can just you're hang telling, out now. We can tell- just hang out. We don't need to do anything. <laughs> we just hang out. You're telling me the two founders of Blonde Acid Cult <laughs> didn't have a hard work ethic? <laughs> I can't believe it. They uh, literally named their band after the color of their hair and the thing they were on. <laughs> Blonde yeah. acid, and then uh, let's just be a cult. Very specific cults, by yeah, the way. Very specific. It was the nickname uh, Brian. Um, what was his name? The guy from the Rolling Stones that died. Okay. Uh, it was the nickname for him and his uh, and his girlfriend it was the br- blonde acid cult. Oh, that must yeah. have been a train wreck of a relationship. Jesus Christ, my oh, God! Oh, if you have uh, a relationship and your friends nickname it the blonde acid cult, <laughs> you gotta break up with each other. It's not gonna work out. He drowned in a pool. Oh. <laughs> One of the better places to die, actually. Yeah. I love the idea. The old uh, was it not Rodney King? Did Rodney King die in the pool? Yes, he did. Yes, he he was just found in the. That's a you know you died having the best time. I love getting drunk and swimming. Yeah, it's like my favorite thing to do. And there's definitely been a couple of occasions where I was down uh, in my buddy's pool in high school, and I was thinking like, I'm four seconds away from never getting up. <laughs> Maybe I'll do, but then there's something that kicks in. It's like, I must live to yeah. meet Marcus. <laughs> Survival instinct always kicks in. Something tells me I'm going to meet a guy named Marcus Parks in five to ten years, and he's going to introduce me to a movie, Cannibal Holocaust. I will get up. <laughs> I will rise from the water like Jason Voorhees. Yeah. So this, this, I mean, this band, it was like your regular like Rolling Stones, middle of the road type. So very like New York 2008 type of band. Right, right, right. Uh, but we played a, a, a gig in uh, in D.C. one night. Okay. Uh, and we had to go play the gig and then turn right around and drive back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were coming over the Verrazano Bridge at like 6 in the morning. The sun was coming up. We were listening to the radio. And uh, like Lou Reed's Walk on the Wild Side came yeah, on. Yeah. And it just was kind of perfect it was one of those perfect new york moments yep. like i live here this is where i am this is the dream that i've had for forever um but unfortunately that dream was a uh, oh, bullshit but well, at, that's the, okay, though. It doesn't <laughs> but at matter. the time yeah. at the time it was a wonderful dream it was a wonderful moment i love that when you yeah when everything collides in a perfect in a perfect way new york city is the best uh thing on earth it really is but i'll tell you when things are going bad it doesn't give a fuck it is the new york is just like oh you're having a rough day the subways are down too <laughs> yeah we're gonna make it rain also yeah it's the new york city's the, the city of highest highs and lowest lows it's a very bipolar city it's the best yeah it is the best city
city. I can't uh, live any. I couldn't live anywhere else. I, I imagine. No. I try to imagine living elsewhere. I can't do it. I hate the West Coast. There's nothing for me in the Midwest, Texas. I can never go back there. No, the Midwest. You might. You might find that you love it. You think so? I don't go know. To Chicago. <laughs> I don't know. We go to Chicago, Madison. Well, I was thinking about Chicago the other day, actually, and you know, it really wants to be that third city. I mean, some people they try to make the arguments that it's uh, the second city. Of course, New York is always the first city, but Chicago desperately wants to compete with L.A., but I would almost give it to Atlanta. You think so? I mean, Atlanta's getting up there, man. Atlanta is great. Beautiful women. Yeah. I could maybe live in Atlanta. Yeah. We get get a lot of good reviews there from friends of ours. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You've had a lot of diversity with your gals. Oh, <laughs> you've dated you've dated everything. Yeah, every every kind of person. I feel like you've dated. Women yeah, man. like you. I cast. Yeah, they do. I cast a wide net. When did that start happening? Uh, when did you find that women actually liked you? Mm. Um, because I'll tell you, for me, I think it's like three years from now or something. Maybe when I'm <laughs> maybe at thirty six, chicks are going to start coming around. I don't know, like high school. Uh, oh, you got some. You got ladies in high school. Huh? Oh yeah, I dated. I mean, yeah, I dated college girls in high school. Really? Yeah, I lost my. I missed my. I uh, lost my virginity to a college girl. You know what? How old was she? Uh, she was eighteen. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. She New- was a freshman. I was a junior in high school. wasn't that big of a deal. But you were sixteen. I was sixteen. Yeah. Breaking the law, dude. <laughs> yeah. She is a technically a felon. Technically, yeah. And I then, lost- uh, and then, uh, you know, in college, I always did really well. Uh, once yeah. I got to like nineteen or twenty and stopped being like a small town douchebag, a goober, as they called me. <laughs> <laughs> I would argue Goober is the most offensive thing you can call a man. Yeah, uh, and especially in Texas. Uh, and I was yeah. in a new metal band for the first like year I was in college, and yeah. that wasn't good. And I just slept with horrible women. Got to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you haven't hit rock bottom until you sleep with a girl named Lucky, and then throw up on her tits a little bit. Oh, isn't that <laughs> ironic? Never name your girl. Never name your daughter the thing you should name a dog. <laughs> that is lucky. Is the most offensive name. That's worse than Goober. Yeah. and that's what her parents actually named her. I don't know if it was a nickname or not. Oh, okay. Yeah, we, there were some. That, there were some just weird be like, times. Everyone there. goes around her to get lucky, so we call her Lucky. Get it? And it's like I got a Texan. Yeah, Texans are always trying to explain their vernacular. And it's like I understand why. Yeah, we call it the we call it the heat circle. You know what I'm talking? You're talking about the sun? Yeah. Because <laughs> it makes the heat come down. Okay, I got it. Get it? I got it, Texas. I got it. Thank it's, you. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. No, I, I, I've, yeah. been, I've always been pretty good with the ladies. Never did as well as I did here in New York, though. Oh, man. New York is just full of such beautiful guests. I lost my virginity to a 26-year-old when I was 18 mm. years old because I don't break the law. <laughs> 18th birthday. Definitely had your 18th birthday, really? No, not my birthday, oh. birthday, but I waited until afterwards. Yeah. Speaking of butterball, holy Christ! <laughs> I was about to say, I think you told me she was a bit of a blumper. Uh, you know, and this is not an insult because she was beautiful. I'm a terrible looking guy, yeah. so you no, know, I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to sit here and say that she. You know, I, I would love to hear what she reports back. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> an 18 year old virgin Ben Kissel. Well, you were like 300 pounds at that point. No, right? I wasn't. I was a football player, so mm. I was pretty agile. So was I. Yeah. Well, you actually were probably fairly good because you're you're muscular and you got good small. Um, not what is it called? Twitch muscle. Yeah, I was super quick. I played yeah. running back. I was always very slow. I was always... You were the wall. I was the wall. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing about football is it's a game of movement. (laughs) You know? So if we were were playing like... um, What's a game? Red Rover? Yeah. If there was ever... If there's any sport or any game... Maybe baseball Mm -hmm. if I was like a first baseman and then I never had to catch the ball. Yeah. 
I played baseball um, in uh, when I was about 11 years old, and I was terrible. I couldn't hit the ball. I have a big strike window, being tall. Yeah. It's very easy to strike me out. We were driving back. I was driving with the uh, coach in the back of his van, and uh, I was very intimidated. And I was very shy. I used to play a game like, how little words can I say in public interactions? This is true, which is so weird because I've made up for that yeah. a lot. I talk a lot. <laughs> And uh, so I had to pee really bad, and I was too scared to tell him to pull over. And so I just pissed my pants all over his van. <laughs> it was the worst. And then I ran into my house after he dropped me off, and then I started crying. My mother did the laundry, folded up the pants, and she gave them to the coach, and I never saw him again. Which she get? I, oh, you were wearing the baseball pants. The baseball pants. I yeah. peed everywhere, all over. <laughs> and so the dude just must have gotten back there Aww. and just been like, I think that Kissel kid pissed the van. <laughs> <laughs> and I never saw him again. I was terrified. I have sports are. I don't have one good memory of sports. I got a couple. I've, played, I've got quite a few actually. In football, you play the what eight man, right? Six man. Six man. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's a fantastic game. It's, it's very, a totally different sport. It's extremely high scoring. Like you know, you're. It's not uncommon to have a game that's like eighty five to seventy six. In fact, it's so Great. high scoring that there's a, a rule called the forty five rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're beating someone by forty five points or more uh, by halftime, they call the game. I mean, you know. I mean, the most I've ever seen was uh, seventy two to zero. That's great. Yeah, that a team scored 72 points on uh, another team before halftime was even there. I watched a basketball game when I was, uh, what I guess I was playing in seventh grade, and a team won 100 to nothing. That was kind of exciting. (laughs) You know, you're really rooting for that one team to get the two points. And that's why every time I play a sport, I constantly say, next point wins, and then I laugh, and I laugh, and I laugh, because everybody knows I'm down by, like, 50 fucking points. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I had a bunch of rebounds when I played basketball, though, because I never made a shot. But I, I bet could so. Own. You post up, yeah. I was tall. Yeah. Yeah. And then my grandmother used to stand up in the middle of the crowd and scream, just give it to him. Give him the points. Uh. And then her pants would fall down. That's true. My grandmother's pants always fell down, and nobody knows why, and it still happens to this day. And I think I might have talked about it on last week's show. I'm not even sure. I can't uh, I can't talk enough about my grandmother's pants. It's a bizarre story. It's weird, but you had good you had good encouraging parents though, and they're happy that you got into uh, radio and shit. Yeah, my parents are extremely encouraging. Uh, yeah, they've yeah. they've always been down for uh, the types of things that I want to do. They're they're always definitely there to tell me when I'm fucking up. Oh uh, yeah, but yeah, they've always been really encouraged because I was always the the weird one in the family. No, like, uh, <laughs> no, you, you're telling me you were the weird one, Marcus Parks, the weird one, the you know the creative one, uh-huh. you know, the the kind of strange one. You know, the guy the who has Ted Bundy's corpse picture when he was <laughs> executed. You know, yeah, I was I was like eight, nine, something like that. Mm-hmm. Had it up on my wall right next to my bed. It was just a fascinating picture. I've always been fascinated with death, Ted uh, Bundy, and things like that, and serial yeah. killers and all kinds of shit, crime. I mean that's a that's a normal, relatively normal thing for a small town, isolated Texas kid to go through. Yeah, I mean, I'm I think kind so. of the exact. I mean, I'm still going through it. Oh yeah, but I mean, <laughs> I'm just saying. You know, it away, yeah. there's always this idea that people who are into uh, true crime or serial killers or you know random uh, violent imagery are going to somehow go out and uh, cause violence themselves. God but no. I argue that 
when you see it enough, you uh, do get sort of desensitized to it, but you also understand how brutal death looks. I mean, it's not just how brutal death looks. It's like when you look, uh, I mean, what, what, at least my opinion is that when you really look into this stuff, especially like the serial killer stuff, you not only see the, pe- the killers themselves, but you see the victims. Right. You see how much it truly destroys people and how destructive it truly is. And you right. really, yeah, I think you gain a little bit more empathy, but you also gain a little bit more empathy for the killers themselves which I think makes you more empathetic to mankind uh, in general. You're not as quick to judge people uh, You're not. when you start to. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I think when you start to really look at the worst people uh, around, um, then you kind of start to gain a little bit more empathy for the person on the street because you never know what they're going through. Yeah, I mean, we do Especially a- like Dahmer. Uh, with last podcast on the left, um, if you haven't gone out there to listen to that uh, podcast, do it because we cover all of these, uh, all of these people. You're right. Um, it is interesting, and the way that we cover it on that show is something that we have to defend on occasion um, because it is a comedy show. Yeah. You know, it's very difficult. It's a, it's a funny notion to people being like, yeah, we did a three-party on Jeffrey Dahmer, and then usually the next words are scary stuff. Our words are like, funny shit, dude. Yeah. <laughs> very, we got a lot of juice from that Dahmer Fucking story. Fucking hilarious. But you know what? Someone, uh, actually a fan... Uh, actually described it really well as he said he kind of compared us to um, how Mel Brooks treated the Nazis right like how Mel Brooks really took the juice out of the Nazis like that they weren't monsters that I mean like they weren't just inhuman beasts they weren't demons they right. were just they were people mm-hmm. and you've got to remember that because if you I think if these people stay the boogeyman I think it just creates more fear and it sort of empowers them in a strange way it also. really does yeah if you think about um, and it also it also um, leaves you more vulnerable to a, a potential attack. The bizarre thing about these so-called monsters, these unbelievable social villains, which is the name of Mike Coscarelli's podcast, give that a listen. Because look how much of a villain he is, Marcus. Oh, you're a naughty villain. <laughs> <laughs> He's a mean dude. He's a mean guy who just wants to make people laugh. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. But if you look at, obviously, listen to Social Villains. It's a great show. But if you look at these uh, people and you put them on this pedestal of demon or almost supernatural, yeah. you don't realize that now that's the dude on the subway. That that dude is right next to you. So especially if you're a woman who tends to be the victim of these things, you have to be aware that dudes who tend to be serial killers, you know, yeah. we kind of, you know, you can yes all women everything, but we got better serial killers. <laughs> The I one mean, thing dudes got women and uh, women. I think straight dudes are fine, but it's women and gay dudes. Yeah, uh, a lot of time gay uh, gay men are. Uh, I mean, they make up a large percentage mm-hmm. of serial killer victims. Right. Um, but I think that also has a lot to do. I, I think uh, gay serial killers, especially like back then, I think if there was more acceptance of the gay lifestyle, right. then I don't think people would be so driven uh, to kill an urge because that's what they're doing. They're literally killing. An urge. A lot of guys. I mean, Dahmer wasn't necessarily killing his urge. I don't think Dahmer really felt all that bad about being gay. Uh, At least it didn't seem like he really did. No, I mean, Milwaukee, what was this, in the 80s and early 90s, this is when he was committing all the crimes, right? Milwaukee had a great gay scene. Yeah. And uh, if you were into bears... They're all fat. <laughs> Milwaukee is all fat. If if Dahmer had been, why uh, not? If he had been straight, he would have just been doing the exact same thing to women. Uh, I don't think being gay had much to do with uh, Dahmer's. Right. But uh, now Dahmer also, you know, uh, we talked about it on our Black Serial Killers episode. Go back and listen to that. 
um, very underreported black serial killers because you have the uh, racists who don't give a shit that black people are dead, and then you have the white uh, liberals who just believe that black people all shit rainbows and uh, they can do no wrong. Yeah. And they don't want to hear about black serial killers, right? Um, so uh, if you kill a lot of these black serial killers, they end up killing black prostitutes. And there's this thing called the less dead, which is uh, what cops use as slang for basically the people no one gives a fuck about. Yeah, right? prostitutes. Uh, um, the least dead person in America is a black prostitute. Right. And it's, it, it is uh, unbelievably sad but true. And uh, so with Dahmer, do you think that uh, him targeting black gay dudes – and then, of course, I believe the Philip. It was a Filipino kid that yeah. got away in the yeah. end. There, that the officers used uh, unbelievable, terrible judgment. Un, uh, like it's insane that they let this bleeding Filipino boy, who was just like, "This guy's trying to rape and kill me." I can't believe they gave him back. They should be charged almost with a crime. And you know those cops. Uh, you know, I guess the 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 full or the short version of the story is that Dahmer uh, was raping and planning to murder this small Filipino boy. The Filipino boy, when Jeffrey Dahmer went out to get more beer, the Filipino boy uh, escaped, mm-hmm. and then two cops found him on the street. He was naked. He was bleeding from his asshole. And that's not normal. <laughs> that's not normal. No. He was all also 14 uh, right. but then when Dahmer showed up he handled it you know as calm as he possibly could he's like hey listen this is my boyfriend he gets really drunk sometimes right uh, so you know I just need to take him up to the room and the cops were so like whoa 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 hey we don't want to hear about it we want to hear about you fucking in the butt right, uh, right, right so they just gave him back and those two cops instead of being uh, praised or instead of being punished for yeah. what they did they eventually uh, won awards for outstanding police work. Not in that case, but no, in a different in, in a different case later on. They both won awards. Oh, good for them. Yeah, but I think Dahmer. I think that is your question. The Dahmer targeted black men because he uh, knew could that, get away with it. I think partly, and I think one of the uh, some of the evidence for that is when they uh, when they got into Dahmer's apartment and started uh, looking over all of the body parts. They, they found uh, a, a penis, a black penis that had been painted white. Uh, so I think that does tell you a little bit about it. But on the other hand, uh, he also may have just been in a black dude's, but also his first uh, planned victim. Mm-hmm. There was a, a, there's a great story about Dahmer uh, lying in wait when he was a teenager. There was this jogger that would mm-hmm. run by his house every day, and he would lie in wait. Uh, rock hard. Try, oh, rock hard. Hey, uh, where do you think Dahmer was lying? Uh, right near that seven-inch hole in the ground there. <laughs> That's where he put his boner. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he just sat there and watched this guy every day. And then mm. finally, one day, he decided, all right, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to do this. Right. And that was the one day that the jogger didn't come. Don't exercise. <laughs> the, the, the moral of every single uh, serial killer story is never get in shape. No. Always stay at home. Yes. Watch old episodes of news radio. There's <laughs> enough Netflix to keep you entertained. Never go outside. Never, ever. It's always a jogger. It's always somebody who just puts themselves out there. Mm-hmm. That's it, you yeah. know. Uh, go back, yeah. The last podcast on the left, the way that uh, you know, the way that you've put together all of those outlines and everything, the research you've done in that show is just so unbelievable, and Thank that's you. why, that's why people like it because for all of the the goofiness and uh, you know all the serious subject matter, it is like truly informative. You can listen to, if you have to do a paper on any of these subjects. Make sure you get your teacher's permission. <laughs> number one, that would be important. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely informative enough to um, to uh, to make you a smarter person after you listen to it. And is that your goal with one of, radio? One of my favorite. Uh- 
one of my favorite uh, things to do on uh, on the podcast is sneaking history in. Right. Because uh, I love uh, the episodes, like the the Civil War Battlegrounds is one oh of my, my favorite God. episodes. Yeah. Uh, Haunted Civil War Battlegrounds. I loved I mean, I know it's not one of our most popular, but I really so love that good. one because I love Civil War history. And I'm also, I'm just a big history fan in general, but I do like to give some context because uh, I think history uh, context is one of the most important things. And that episode is great because it was the, uh, I was so envious. There's a, there's a story about kids who got to go on a field trip trip yeah i went to a field trip my senior class trip uh from pacelli high school we got to go see uh some museum in uh in chicago uh, it was a, an aquatic museum and it's fine <laughs> you know it's cool i'm like oh yeah there's a fucking captured fish not having a good time mm-hmm. it's too stupid to know it's alive and then uh there's a, a, another big thing i was just trying to go neck by the goddamn uh <laughs> Try to go kiss this girl Joy by the uh, by the fountain that was on the cover of uh, that was uh, in the beginning of uh, Married with Children. Oh, and I and I found the fountain nice. that was in the uh, in the beginning credits of Married with Children, and it is just a fountain. <laughs> so, what did you think? Did you think it was actually covered in green slime? I thought Al and Peg were going to be there. <laughs> thought maybe Kelly was going to show Frank up. Frank Sinatra's just sitting there singing "Love and Marriage." Man. Growing up, I'm so happy that I'm never disappointed in anything anymore. I just yeah. know it's going to be smaller than I wanted it to be. Mm. Everything is tiny. Everything is. But there was a great story in the uh, haunted battlegrounds where these kids went and they. What was the uh, what was the the actual site? It was either Gettysburg or Antietam. I think and it was Gettysburg. A bunch of ghosts are hanging out there. <laughs> Holy Christ! All of them. Jesus. The Civil War ghosts. What would you say? Most haunted place on earth right now is the is the Civil War battlegrounds up there? Uh, as far as the most haunted place on earth, you know, I don't know if I can necessarily say that for 100 percent certainty. I think in America, yeah, uh, I. Th- think that's definitely up there Gettysburg and Antietam just because so many people died just the scope of death in uh in the Civil War I don't think people really realize like we lost a good percentage of our entire male population to the Civil War like I I think it was like five to twelve percent like it was a ridiculous amount of and it was a weird war as well because people were just fighting uh family members and uh it was a Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, I love not that. only that in Sherman's March, just like oh hey, all of these people, you know, just go through and kill all of them, but kill oh. all of them, burn everything. Yeah, uh, civilians, do it, women, children, whatever. Just go through, kill and burn everything you see uh, from this line to the coast. Go listen to that episode, haunted uh, battlefields of of the Civil War. There's so many great stories in there. Marcus, uh, let's, I, I, you know, because I, I got you here. Yeah. You're here. And you went, <laughs> give me your shoes and get out of here. <laughs> give me your shoes, get out of here. But uh, for people listening, you've been doing, you've done radio for so long. What is your, what's your, uh, what is radio for you? What do you, what is the, what is the number one goal you want to, um, to achieve every time you do a radio show? Oh man! Every time you do a podcast, well, you know, I mean, obviously, you have someone, you have someone like Rush Limbaugh, who's you know stressing his political points of views and make, making him, uh, you know, self, making himself feel valid in that way. You have people who, you know, just want to make people laugh and do random dick jokes. You have Howard Stern, who was, you know, just trying to get people uh, like myself hard for the first time at eleven and a half years old when he <laughs> describes a woman's tit, which is a weird thing. It like, is. People it jerk is. off to the Howard Stern show, but that's just a dude narrating himself looking at another woman. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a weird cockhold situation yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, it's really strange. But what do you like to do? I mean, because we we've done we do so many shows, but at the bottom, 
the bottom line of all of our shows is information. Yeah. All you you're so good at providing people information. Thank you. Is that is that uh is that on purpose? Yeah, absolutely. I mean the the one thing that I want to be above anything else and I think this is also I mean and all the people you described still it's like the all I want to be is engaging. Right. Uh, cuz I'm not, you know, I'm not a stand up. I'm like I'm not a comedian. Uh and so I the only thing that I can do is I like to and also I love to teach. And yeah. like and on these uh, episodes like last podcast on the left and stuff like that, like I kind of see it as as teaching because Lord knows I'm never going to get into a classroom. Uh, no, not allowed. <laughs> not allowed within 50 feet of a classroom. No. And, He's from and, Texas Tech, for Christ's sake. Not exactly a great history. With uh, with universities and uh, you know students. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, definitely not. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I love to teach, and I I just I like to uh, just make things interesting. That's all I want to be. Is, what would is be engaging. a piece of advice that you're give, that you would give to somebody who wants to get in the podcast game? Because everybody is doing it. And Marcus and I, uh, we had a situation last week where we literally had three podcasts in the top 200 on iTunes, and I believe we were probably the only people that could say that in the entire world. Yeah. At that point, except for maybe like an Adam Carolla type. Um, but so you've been doing it for so long. You're very established. What kind of advice would you give somebody who's just about to plug in and talk into a microphone for the first time? I'd say engaging first, funny second. You know, if no one right. uh, engaging first, funny second, uh, organization is key uh, because it doesn't matter how funny you are. If it's meandering, mm-hmm. uh, if nobody cares about what you're saying, uh, it's not like stand up where you know, like stand up, you go uh, and you know you can see someone tell jokes on stage. The, right. the audience is much more captive. Uh, but oh, right, yeah, yeah. The audience is much more captive. But if you're well, doing... they're literally captive by the two drink minimum yes. and the fact they have to pay. It would be illegal for them theoretically to stand up and leave. <laughs> theoretically, yes, right. Uh, but with radio, even terrestrial radio, you're a you know you are one hand click away uh, from not being in that person's and, uh, not being in that person's world anymore. I mean, it's easy to say be engaging, but what is it? Is it is it just talking from your heart? Is it getting when we first started doing Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, Marcus and I began uh, our uh, podcast journey together mm. uh, with the round table of gentlemen. That's me, Marcus, uh, Holden McNeely, Jackie Zabrowski, uh, Ed Larson, and Kevin Barnett. That's a big group of people. And, uh, and that show is amazing, and we have a, uh, you know, a, a great, uh, great audience. When we started doing Abel Against Top Hat, that's our political show, that was just you and I. And for the first time, we were just wondering if we could even do it. Yeah. Just you and I. So the first few episodes, hell, maybe even the first, like, 50 episodes, were they were much faster. I felt like our, we hadn't quite gotten our... Our uh, our timing and our cadence down. And I don't know for me personally, I think there was still a facade that was up. Yeah, I think so. You know, and so is that? Do you think it's just doing it and doing it that can break down the facade? Uh, and or is a big character is that a good thing to have uh, with a podcast? I mean, a big character. I I think if you're trying to force something, then it's not going to happen. If you're trying right. to force something, then no one's going to care. Because what you need is you need to have something that somebody cares about. You need to have a, the audience that you want. You need to make the show for the audience that you want. And if you don't have an audience in mind, then you're not going to get one. Right. Uh, because okay, let me give you an example. Like here in New York, I, you know, I get pitched a lot of shows. I've gotten pitched a ton of shows. I just over pitched. The years. Mar- I pitched Marcus a show, and this is a true story, <laughs> and and and, and uh, it's still pending. The show is still no, pending. No, no, no. <laughs> did you just reject it officially? I'm unhappy. I was reading an acoustic um, uh, book 
a book about, I believe it was the acoustic harp. Yeah, the acoustic and, and harp. And I was reading it, and I wanted to do a podcast of just me reading it, and um, I thought it was still a possibility. Well, actually, and- I do have an idea for that. Okay. Uh, yeah, I thank maybe you. not a release. It, I have an idea for that. We'll talk about it later. Okay, thank you, Marcus. Uh, but I do have an idea on how we could use that. Thank you. Um, no, but- anyway, you were saying you are pitched many ideas. Pitched a lot of ideas, and I'd say that 80 to 90, 80 to 90% of the ones that I'm pitched uh, are shows about comedy about comedy about comedy so i'm gonna bring in a comedy writer and talk about that i'm gonna bring in comedians that have mental health issues and ask about how mental health works into their uh works into their bits and their acts and things like that and i know you enough to know that if you want to accurately feel uh know how Marcus feels when those are pitched to him, just go watch an old episode of Ren and Stimpy. <laughs> and whenever Ren is upset with Stimpy, and I'm always Stimpy in these situations as well. I'm always eating the kitty litter. Whenever Ren is upset and they do a close-up, that is exactly how Marcus feels and his skin shakes off his bones. The, the vein starts bulging. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, because you're not going to get an audience. Nobody cares. It's oversaturated. Uh, right. Just nobody cares. The only people that you're going to get to listen to your show are other comedians. And that is the last thing. You know, it's one of those things where, like, when I do something on Facebook, because, you know, I'll write some jokes on Facebook and things like that. And if. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're the majority of people that like it are comedians. I'm like, well, I failed. Oh come on, that's not, <laughs> that's not good. Yeah, that's but, nice. But though, if the comedians ma- like it, I, but you know what I mean, though. It's yeah, like yeah, if yeah. the majority of people that like it are just regular people, then that means like, oh, okay, I've I've reached people. Right. I, I, I've reached a certain like I've reached the people that are going to, that I need to get paid. Right. Like if I am only reaching comedians, then that tells me that I'm not reaching people that are gonna that are gonna get me paid. If I'm yeah. reaching somebody in Middle America, then that means okay, that that's what I want. That's, right. that's what I need. Well, that's I can, the consumer. That is, yeah, that's, that's exactly the consumer. We have to be entertaining. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That that's the consumer. And you also want to be you want to be somewhat universal. You know, you want to be able to appeal to a lot of people. I mean, you don't totally. need to appeal to everyone because if you try to be all things to all people, then you're gonna be boring as shit. Yeah. And you're going to be bland. Right. Um, but you definitely want an audience, but you also want to appeal to a wide enough audience where if it's so terribly niche uh, that if, like, if you just have a show that's just about cooking fajitas, but right. you're not going to talk about anything else, you're only going to get people who like cooking fajitas. Man, that's actually a great... Marcus, I have a show idea. <laughs> ben Kissel talks about people cooking fajitas. Comedian. <laughs> I just describe it the way that Howard Stern describes a woman's body. But, oh, yeah. And then the chicken and... Uh, why don't you turn it around a little bit for me? <laughs> look at it. Look at it sizzle. Look yeah. at it sizzle. Look at it pop. You do a podcast called Sex and Other Human Activities. You used to do it with Sarah Benincasa, who also has a show on Cave Comedy Radio now called In the Casa. Oh, yeah. And uh, But now you do Sex and Other Human Activities with Jackie Zabrowski, who is an amazing talent. And uh, this is a self-help um, show that you get people to email in, and they really have real-life issues. What compelled you to, uh, to get into that area? Because, you know, you... Truly, I'm sure I occasionally I usually get like tit pics and stuff on <laughs> Facebook, but occasionally I'll get like, hey, you really helped me out through an experience that I was going through, uh, whether it be a loss of a family member or anything like that. What was the motivation to get into the self-help game? 
um, because that is something that a lot of people don't have the compassion or the heart to do. It was kind of by accident uh, because when I first started off, Sarah Benincasa, me and her, we met at The Onion, and she was the first person that I met and like made friends with. In oh, the I wonder scene. why you did that, Marcus. <laughs> was it her fucking unbelievable bosom or was it her unbelievable bosom? <laughs> She was with someone at the time. It oh, was yeah, just- she's always been with somebody. <laughs> Good God. Uh, but she uh, pitched a show to me. She just wanted to do, um, when I was with Breakthrough, wanted to do uh, an advice type of show. Uh, and then eventually, like, we just kind of started, we'd talk before the shows, and she'd be like, you know, what do you think about this? And I started also telling her what I thought. And I've always been the type of guy that people come to me for advice. Right. Um, and they, they come to me with their problems and all that, even strangers. Uh, right. Come to me for advice. Why like, do you think people... that is? Because no one comes to me for advice. Everyone's just like, "Oh, that monster! I better avoid him if I'm not feeling like I want to be called fat today." <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'd look like a. I mean, crazy people. I guess are crazy people uh, attract you know are attracting me all the time. Like, uh, real quick story. I was uh, waiting for the train a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and there was a guy that was ranting and raving. You know, obviously disturbed. Uh, and he's making his way down the line, ranting and raving at people, and then finally he comes to me, and he just clicks off into normal mode, and he looks me straight in the eye. He goes, hey, man, you think I should take my schizophrenia medication? Right. And I go, yeah, absolutely, please. And he's like, <laughs> cool. And then he get, and then he got on the train and just kept, do, kept going, just kept doing his thing. Yeah, it yeah, It was yeah. the most bizarre thing. And people, you know, in Texas all the time, I was known, kind of known as that. It's like if, if I went out with people, eventually the most crazy person in the room would be drawn to me right. uh, and start just talking to me about their problems, about their life. I was back when I, when I was home last time, a clerk at a convenience store just started talking to me about his divorce and his custody battle. Oh, yeah. I was just trying to get some fucking sausage, cheese and egg biscuits. Right. And right. all of a sudden this guy's telling me about his divorce. It's just that's just the sort people have just always been drawn to me and specifically people with pretty big problems. And it can be overwhelming sometimes. It can be really overwhelming. I mean, uh, I mean, you are a person that is, uh, yeah. People feel very comfortable speaking with you, and that is that's just something that you you can't really put your finger on it. I don't know. It's I, an intangible that uh, that it's so difficult to describe. You know, when people look at me, they turn around and run. <laughs> you know, but then when people look at you, they're like, "I'm going to tell them that I uh, I'm currently taking Stratera right now for ADHD. Maybe he'll understand." <laughs> no, I mean, when I was in high school, there was a a girl who just uh, out of nowhere told me that her uh, father had molested her out of nowhere. Uh, there was no hmm. prompting. There was, I mean, we'd kind of been drinking. There was no prompting. There was nothing that. Um, and I had just met this girl. I didn't right. know her. It wasn't like she was a good friend of mine. I didn't know her. She just came out of nowhere and just said, like, listen, my father molested me when I was a kid, and it really fucks with me. Right. Mm. Well, I mean, I think people can just tell that you're not a judgmental asshole. And uh, it's amazing how many judgmental assholes there are out there. And I think that is one of the misconceptions about people that do what we do. We have we have begun now because we've been on this journey for, you know, like you were saying, five years. I said seven years. <laughs> I said going on seven years, but then Marcus is mean. I ain't going on six. It's going on 15. <laughs> Hell, it's going on 50 fucking years. It's going on anything over five. <laughs> yes. Take your shoes. <laughs> get out of here. But, uh, you know, we haven't. We've been doing hours i mean the amount of work i mean it's mm-hmm. it is technically work we love doing it no it yeah. is work though and we're beginning now to see some uh financial payoff uh you know a little bit but you know it's it, it, certainly nothing nothing really we're just going to reinvest whatever that little we get um but uh it's really just the labor of love that you and people 
that do it the way that we do it, it's a, a lot of ego. But theoretically, I do think us talking is good for the world. I think so. And I think you, but I don't know <laughs> I because don't, it's also like a very, I'm trying to like, because I'm ego, we're obviously very, uh, not egotistical, but we have a large enough ego to believe that our points of view and our perspective are valid. Well, that people and care. Va- that people care and yeah. we can actually help them out. Yeah. Right. I mean, growing up, I got the gay brothers, the Christian parents, the foster brothers. You have your own, uh, you know, unique background and stories. So I feel like, you know, against uh, going back to what you were saying before, you want to cast as wide of a net as possible, but also maintain your soul. Yeah. And maintain who you are. And that's what draws people in. So would you say that that's a good um, thing for podcasters to remember? Be the pillar. And then people will naturally be drawn to you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I'd say another thing uh, to do is, like you mentioned, that we've been doing this for a long Going time. Going on seven years. <laughs> Going on seven years. With, Come you know, on. Little, with very little uh, financial uh, return on it. Uh, but my philosophy uh, with anything, especially stuff like this, my philosophy is always you put your head down and you put in the work. And eventually right. shit will work out. So, and, and, you know, there's anyone can have a podcast now. Anyone can, you know, call themselves a comedian um, it's e- it's easier than ever to make a movie, but it's more difficult now than ever to stand out. Yeah, and yeah. I and I talk to people where I, you know, I'd ask them, you know, how many pot like they'd say like, oh, you know, I've been doing podcasts, I just can't really like I can't find an audience. I'm really not, you know, getting there. And I'm like, right. oh, okay, well, you know, how many episodes have you done? They're like, man, like thirty. I'm no, like, 30? thirty. Thirty? Are you fucking kidding me? Why don't you try? I don't know, five hundred, six hundred. Yeah. Uh, like easily just to begin the process of possibly getting some success yeah that and that's it unless you, know? you are famous right unless you are unless you are adam carolla unless you right. are mark maron who was fairly well known before he started oh, doing absolutely. wtf and, and he mark maron was the first i don't know one person who doesn't fast forward the first 15 minutes of that podcast <laughs> <laughs> take that for what it is yeah but he uh, piggybacked a lot of this on the success of his uh, of the guests he was able to get, which is a good technique. Yeah, it is a um, good technique, but I think it's also an overused technique right. uh, because I think a lot of people think that their success is dependent on how big of a guest they can get. Uh, and they do that before they're good, right. before they know what they're doing. It doesn't matter how big of a guest you get because that person was on three other podcasts this week. Right. You know, you're not getting someone that has that. that it's not like you're getting J.D. Salinger. Who hasn't? T- right. who oh, he hasn't, wrote on the road. He wrote right? on the road. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Love J.D. Salinger. You know, he was the one who killed uh, 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 Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah, of yeah. course, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not like you're. If you get someone like that, yeah, it's huge. Uh, right. But saying like you get someone like let's just say Todd Berry. Sure. Todd Berry, who I love and who's fantastic. But you know what? Todd Berry was on two other podcasts this week. Right, right, right. Uh, You're not going to get anything from him that people haven't already heard before. Mm. Uh, So I think the big thing, you know, and one thing I think that especially here in New York and in Los Angeles and especially here in New York, I think people depend way too much on their guests. Right. Uh, And they they focus so much on getting their guests before they focus on getting good. Because, like, say, Mm. like, just, I mean, the best example is our most popular show that we've ever done uh, that has gotten us you know so many in top 50 of iTunes we have had I think over the years two guests maybe three uh, last podcast yeah, on the left. last podcast on the left right. yeah we've gotten two guests maybe three mm-hmm. uh, and but we focused on making our show the best it possibly could be mm-hmm. and people noticed and uh, I believe we have maybe we had three guests two molested and one did makeup <laughs> 
I think that's our. Yeah. We had uh, Shane come on from Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell. He does all the special effects and makeup uh, for Henry Zabrowski show in Adult Swim. You got to check that show out. And then a couple of guys who said that they met aliens, but really they were just. Muslims. They were really just. They were yeah, 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 yeah. A and lot we had, of that. Yeah, and we had James, we had James Adomian come on oh, and do. Yes. We had him do uh, Jesse Ventura once, and he was right. fantastic. But that was within our first like. I don't know, 40 episodes? Last thing that could help people out, Mark, is interviewing. You and I have worked our asses off at figuring out how to be good interviewers. Yeah. And I felt going in, you were uh, you you gave me a lot of great advice. Um, and so maybe you could share a little bit of that um, because it is a skill that is very underappreciated. I love my Charlie Rose, love my old school Larry King, and Howard Stern, as a matter of fact, is one of the greatest interviewers that has ever existed. That man gets people to talk about, you know, the, he he could have he could have the prime minister he could have David Cameron come on and within four minutes David Cameron is literally talking about how he used to hang out with Jimmy Saville <laughs> Saville Saville <laughs> and molest uh, and molest children I mean that's how good Stern is yeah but you know how is he that good why is he that good uh, why is Abe Lincoln's top hat so good at it <laughs> There's two things uh, the first thing naturally listening. Right. Uh, that that's the the one thing, and the second thing is uh, 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 just good advice for any podcast that has more than one person. Unless you're Rush Limbaugh and you're just talking, mm-hmm. uh, if it has more than one person, but especially if you're interviewing, uh, the most important thing is knowing when not to talk. Right. It's not knowing when to talk because if you're like constantly is like, oh, should I say something now? Should I say something mm-hmm. now? Uh, then you're gonna end up talking over the other person. You're gonna end up. Uh, um, not letting them expand on things, right? Uh, but it's also knowing when they're expanding too far, right? Uh, but it's also knowing. Uh, it's also a, another big thing is learning a person's uh, pattern of speech, uh, and knowing how they speak, where their pauses are, mm-hmm. and knowing when uh, a sentence is coming to an end. Right. Uh, it's a, that's a, a really big thing. So you've got to be, and you've got to know how to listen to people really well. You have to be able to listen. Silence is unbelievably professional. Um, <laughs> that's true. It's so bizarre because you think that you have to be talking all the time on account that it is a, it's a fairly verbal platform. Mm-hmm. But you, and you also have to lead the conversation almost like what the NYPD did during Occupy when they would just go take the large um, nets and literally just kind of guide people. And then they're like, oh, I guess we're on Fifth Avenue now. And they mm-hmm. don't even really know how they got there. Yeah. And another big thing is to, uh, if your question, do not, and this is one that I made, uh, a mistake I made early on because I had to teach myself how to enter. I didn't take really any journalism classes in oh, college. Even if you take the class, I mean, you, you have to do it. Yeah. You have to do it. Otherwise, you're never going to know. And one of the things, uh, one of the mistakes I made early on was sticking to my questions. It's like I had these sure. questions, like I had 10, 15 questions that I would write out. Right. And no matter what, I would stick to the questions. Uh, but what you have to do is you have to let the interview progress naturally. Right. Uh, and if it doesn't, if it gets to to a point where there's a dead end, then yes, fall back on your questions. Mm-hmm. But your questions are something to fall back on. It's not something to build the show around. Right, right, right. And could be, you. And again, and that will become easier once you listen. Yes. You just be engaged and you listen. That's great. Yeah. Um, and also know when you're about to go too far. 
when you're about right. to shut someone up because that was and also know how to warm people up as well the man the worst mistake i ever made i was uh interviewing uh kumel nanjiani okay uh and it was one of my first interview this was back when he lived here in new york city and yes. he was about to move to la and at the time like he was a well-known stand-up within like the local alt scene yes. but was by far not the you know silicon valley two television shows guy that he is now yeah, like, he's, a, he's a superstar he's yeah. a superstar now uh but back then i d- the most interesting question is not necessarily the one you ask first right uh because there was um i found this uh through an article that he did a one-man show years and years and years ago mm-hmm. uh and he's pakistani uh and muslim and through that show he got a death threat Okay. Uh, from you know someone from another Pakistani guy. Right. Uh, and I led with that. Like it was a v- obviously a very it's a death threat. It is a very real and serious death threat. And especially for the reasons that he probably got it. If it was a, a religious yes. based death threat, those individuals aren't messing around yeah. with their threats. Yeah. And he was somebody that and he had put a ton of work into this. You know, he had really uh, it was something that he had put a lot of work into. And for his troubles, he got death threats. Right. Uh, and uh, I sat down with him and I didn't really know. And we were in that dingy fucking basement. Right. Uh, where we started recording everything, and I sat down. And the first thing I said is like, "So, tell me about the death threat." Right, right, He's right. Like, no, that's <laughs> that. that was a, and he didn't know you at all either. He, he did. I mean, he knew me a little bit. You know, we'd right. maybe hung out once or twice, but not like we hadn't like gotten drunk together or anything like that. Uh, but he just said the first thing. He was like, "You know, I don't really want to talk about that." Uh, and that like, is he, not the answer you want to get from your first question. No. That is, that is not blooming that onion whatsoever. No, it is not. No. And I, yeah, and so the rest of the, the interview lasted, I think, like 10, 15 minutes because wow. he gave me really short answers to everything. He wasn't mean, uh, and I don't begrudge him for it. Right. Uh, but everything was, was like really short answers. It's like, I'm not going to talk to this guy. If you shuck oysters, some are going to be more difficult than others, but you got to get the goddamn thing open any which way possible. Put yeah, it man. in your ass. Thigh master that thing. <laughs> do whatever you got to do. But as the, I agree, if, if, if you're the interviewer, if you're the interview, uh, if you're the interviewer and the interview goes wrong, I don't care who the subject is. It's on you. Yeah. That's our job. The worst that I had was, uh, the worst interview I ever had was with, uh, uh, Michael Ian Black, Michael Showalter, and David Wayne. Okay. Uh, because I knew uh, Kevin Allison from Risk. Uh, he originally was going to have that on Breakthrough, but, you know, my boss fucked up that deal. Okay. Uh, but uh, back then, so Kevin, as sort of a favor to me, uh, he's like, hey, you know, I can set you up with an interview with uh, the, these three guys, the Sella guys. You know, they're all from the state. Uh, and I went in, uh, and I was extremely nervous because these guys have been huge fan or like huge uh uh heroes of mine for like 10 years half literally half my life at that point the state was a television show that aired on mtv was a sketch show that was absolutely hilarious it was amazing uh and so i go in and i'm trying and i'm making the mistake sticking with the questions and the very first question you had all three of these guys in there all three of them at the same time and and uh, this is that's these are big time dudes for you. Yeah. So you had the little bit of you were a little nervous oh and kind God. of awestruck. As I was well. almost I was almost throwing up. I was so nervous and awestruck. Right. Uh, and so the first question that I have uh, is like, so how did the state get together? Which isn't a very good question uh, and not a very good tactic for an interviewer. Like, how did the state get together? Right. And uh, Michael uh, Showalter, who's not 
No, known as not being the nicest guy. No, nah, he's one of these guys who loves cats. <laughs> the more that somebody loves cats, the less they love humans. Yeah. So uh, Michael Showalter is certainly somebody who, in my personal opinion, has uh, um, treated audiences relatively poorly. And by that, I mean I literally saw him read two letters to his cat. <laughs> on stage, but women loved it, and I'm sure he got yeah. blown after the show, so yeah. I can't uh, begrudge him for that. Yeah, and, and the first I ask, like, so how did the steak get together? And he doesn't even look at me. He's, like, eating chips, and he just goes... Oh, chips! Yeah, yeah nice. just eating chips, and he just goes, Google it! And then from then on out, it's just a fucking disaster. Well, uh, I David eat- Wayne, the nicest guy, and, like, so nice, so accommodating. Michael Ian Black is a fucking alien. Uh, <laughs> but he was also like, you know, but he was like fairly nice. But right. yeah, Showalter, we, uh, yeah, because uh, later on in the and later on, he said something like, you know, I've always liked to make people laugh, and I and I was so very mad. And this doesn't this doesn't make any sense. My comeback didn't make any sense. I just go, well, you're such a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it doesn't make he any just, sense. The look he gave me was just, uh, and then he just, you know, was silent for the rest of the time. Yeah, uh, and David Wayne just like kind of looked at me. and He goes, "You still got us other two. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> oh, well, you can uh, always you can always tell who's a good person by how they treat people who are new to this business. Yeah, because and I was obviously very new. I obviously yeah. didn't know what I was doing. Uh, but that was you know that that was definitely that was the worst interview I ever had. Yeah, nothing will top that. My God, yeah, that is. I mean, that's a hell of a hell of a threesome to have in there interviewing or uh, for one of your first interviews. Yeah, and I can still watch. Interviews. I can still watch the state, but it can only be like Thomas Lennon sketches. That's so funny. Who is my favorite anyway? Thomas is great. <laughs> that's what I always say. Well, you're such a nice guy. <laughs> Take your, give me your shoes and get out of here. Well, you're such a nice guy. It just didn't make any sense. I just wanted to. I wanted to get him. Right. I right, wanted right. to get him somehow, but I, yeah. yeah, that was the worst thing I could have said. Oh my God, Marcus, I love you so much, buddy. Love you too, buddy. We've been around for so long doing this shit, and we're we're gonna make it after. Um, as soon as I stop singing, um, <laughs> I think that's when we're gonna make it. Um, yeah. so check out Cave Comedy Radio. Marcus is the station manager. We do roundtable of gentlemen. Last podcast on left enabling its top at, and then Marcus, you do. Let me see if I can even sex and other human activities. Mm-hmm. Page seven, yeah, which is an entertainment show that's absolutely hilarious. Thank you, uh, nerd of mouth. Well, I'm mostly just producer on. But you that. talk on. There. I talk on it a bit. Yeah. I mean, I try, I try to not talk a whole bunch. Yeah, that's a very funny show. And uh, let's see, am I missing anything else? There I also a- produce Unlimited Lives. Unlimited Lives, yeah. which is a video game uh, podcast. So. Um, I would argue they probably have the fattest listeners, <laughs> um, but you never know. A lot of these video game people are buff. You can never tell um, what they look like. All right, everyone. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. And listen to Mike Coscarelli's podcast, Social Villains, because they're out there doing bad things, like sitting in a studio and trying to make you happy. (laughs) I love you, Mike. Thank you, buddy. Um, All right, everyone. We'll talk to you soon.